at the right height for you. The reading this morning is from Matthew um, 15 to 29, then 16 to 12. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left, left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees.
Thanks, everyone. If you can have your uh, Bibles open or your app on your phone open and the talk outline is there in your leaflet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to hear Jesus' words, help us to hear them and help us to understand them. And please give us faith that we would understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I pray that prayer because uh, throughout our days, um, there are decisions we make in our life about do we act out faith in Jesus or on balance do we choose not to? And all throughout our days, we make decisions yes or no. What do you think on balance? Is it worth bringing to God in prayer the things that weigh on you and that make you anxious? Is that worth it, yes or no? I mean, you say yes, because we're in church, right? But, you know, in the heat of the moment or in your day, do you or not? What do you think? Is Is it worth giving up your time and effort to serve him at church? You might say, yes, I want to be on a roster to be part of the team and to help out. But as an act of faith, you know, is it worth baking for hospitality? Is it worth preparing your kids' message? Because you want to serve Jesus and you believe that it will be good for him and his kingdom. Yes or no? And I know, you know, the predicted answer is yes here, but in the busyness of your life, what do you decide? What do you think on balance? Is it worth putting your hand up as a believer in Jesus at work or at school or at uni or wherever you are, is it worth going out on a limb to invite someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to a gingerbread event, for example? On balance, yes or no? What do you think, is Jesus someone worth believing in? Now, odds are we're all here, we all respect Jesus, and we know people who respect and believe in him. But from what you know of him, on balance, yes or no, is Jesus someone worth believing in? Maybe you already believe in Jesus, maybe you decided that years ago, decades even, but stuff happens in life, doesn't it? Maybe you've encountered opposition or... You've all, I mean, we all experience troubles and loss and disappointments, and we all have worries. So let me ask you, now at this point in your life, given all that has happened and all that is currently happening, would you say that you still think Jesus is worth believing in or not? It's worth asking because every day we all encounter challenges to belief. Uh, Dave was a friend of mine, a likable, deep-thinking guy, straight talker, someone who, as far as Jesus was concerned, he, he didn't really want to believe in him. He thought that because Jesus lived a long time ago and because the history of the church was patchy over the centuries and how much suffering there was in the world, he said the burden of proof for God being real and for Jesus being worth believing in. The burden of proof was on God. If God wanted him to believe, he should turn up right in front of him and do a miracle and then he would believe. 
very similar to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in our reading who demand to see a sign from heaven. Jeff was another friend, <clears throat> similar to Dave, except probably more closed-minded than Dave. Not a bad guy in the world's terms, he actually became a Buddhist, but he, <clears throat> he didn't really want to discuss Jesus and he seemed irritated with any attempt by myself to talk with him about Jesus until eventually, after a few years, and we were good friends, we were you know, in each other's bridal parties, but, but he said, look, I don't want to believe and I want you to stop talking to me about Jesus. I don't want you to talk to me anymore about Jesus because if God was real and he wanted me to believe, he should have made it plain. Stavros was a young guy I met who thought he was a Christian and yet weirdly for me, he'd never read the Bible. And we started reading the Bible and he was like a bird that had been released from its cage. He he, he realized that the Bible said nothing about all the rules that he grew up with, thinking that's what Christianity meant. And, you know, things about only eating fish on Fridays or fasting during Lent and all this sort of stuff. And so he, he was going, well, until suddenly he told me he wouldn't have anything to do with me because he'd spoken to his parents who warned him against reading the Bible and learning about Jesus. Pete was someone <clears throat> who went through school with me, high school, not a natural friend, um, but someone who became a Christian and because there weren't many Christians in high school, we were kind of bumped together. <clears throat> Years after high school, I saw Pete at a market in Sydney and I discovered he was no longer a Christian. Asked a few gentle questions. It became clear that Pete had had a hard number of years and he felt very disappointed, very let down, swindled. Four guys, <clears throat> each deciding for them not to believe or to keep on believing. Dave said there wasn't enough evidence. Jeff thought Jesus an annoying intrusion. Stavros, faith threatened his family religion. Pete, disappointed by Jesus. Now, for, for each of them, I could, of course, give lots of counterexamples of people who did choose to believe, but I focus on that group because every day we are confronted with challenges to belief, and that's what this part of Matthew deals with. There's three parts and three steps we're taken through. First of all, the feeding of the 4,000. This is why Jesus is worth believing in. Second, a demand for a sign. This is what Jesus says to those who won't believe in him. And third, Jesus warning his disciples, those who do believe in him, to be on their guard against unbelief. <clears throat> so God is talking to us about our decision, yes or no, to personally believe in Jesus and then to guard ourselves against unbelief. So we start <clears throat> with the miraculous feeding of 4,000 men. And if you're experiencing deja vu, that's because in Matthew 14, we've only just read of Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people there. And we think, what's going on? Well, <clears throat> it's not the same event told twice. They happened at different times of the year in different locations, opposite sides of the Sea of Galilee, different audiences, different amounts of food left over. The point is, in this event, Jesus miraculously feeds a Gentile crowd whereas before he'd miraculously fed a Jewish one. And the point from that is that Jesus is a good and generous king to everyone, to Jewish people as well as non-Jewish people. 
And that's really good to see because just before this, you might remember from last week, it seemed like Jesus was being really rude to a Gentile woman who came to him asking for help. But today we see that for both crowds, the 5,000 Jewish, the 4,000 Gentiles, Jesus heals their sick. And in this case, we are given the detail. He healed people who were mute, who were blind, who were crippled, who were lame. Now, what do we make of that detail? Well, 700 years earlier, God had said that when the Messiah came to the Jews, he would do this for them, for the Jewish people. But now we see him being the Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but for the non-Jewish Gentiles. Jesus is the Messiah for everyone, for Jews and for Gentiles. And so when he sees these Gentiles hungry, rather than being irritated by this or thinking it's just someone else's problem, Jesus had that same compassion for them that he had for the Jews. And he fed them. And everyone had as much as they wanted. And still there was more left over. And we see from this the sort of Messiah King who Jesus is. He is a good and he is a generous King. He is not self-serving. He is not miserly. He is a King who gives. He is the King God sent for the Gentiles. And they get it because when they saw Jesus' healings, they praised the God of Israel, because the God of Israel, they knew, had sent Jesus to bring blessing to them as well, even though they weren't Jewish. Today, I've, I've said we've launched our Christmas advertising, a contemporary nod back to the wise men who traveled across international borders to come and worship Jesus. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself this question. Why did wise men from a foreign country bother to go all that way to worship a child born the king of the Jews. They might have worked out that he was born, but why would you go all that way to worship him? Except that the one born as king of the Jews is the king of kings and their king as well. That's the reason, and he is. Jesus is worth everyone believing in. He is the king God sent for everyone. And in character, he's compassionate towards us, he's good, he's generous. And I need to add, he's alive, he's not dead. He's not a, just a, a figure of history. He's contemporary, he's in your present and your future. He is risen from the dead, he is ascended into heaven. He is the king on high who is worth everyone believing in, he's in charge of things and he longs for our hearts and our lives. And yet, the sad reality is that many won't believe. It's not that they can't believe, it's more, more than that, it's that they won't believe. It was true for my friends, it was true for Dave, it was true for Jeff, it was true in Jesus' day. Because right after Jesus lands back in Jewish territory, he crosses the lake, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him and they ask him to show them a sign from heaven. And perhaps we think, well, this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to just do what they ask and get them to believe. Except they have already asked this before of him in Matthew chapter 12, right after Jesus had already shown them not just one sign, but sign after sign after sign. They were there in the room when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, lowered down through a hole in the roof. They had seen it with their own eyes. It had never happened before. 
They were there in the crowd when Jesus healed the bleeding woman through her simply touching his cloak. They were there. They were there when Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came, his daughter was dying, and then, oh no, now she's dead. They were there and they saw Jesus go to him. And he gave her life and raised her from the dead. They were there when they saw Jesus driving out demons from a man who couldn't speak and heal him. They were there in the synagogue when Jesus healed the man with a shriveled hand. And then another demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute. And then they asked him for a sign from heaven. What had he just been doing? And now four chapters later, after Jesus has just fed miraculously thousands of people, they ask for another sign when there were literally now thousands of witnesses, including themselves, to all the miraculous signs Jesus did, all talking about what they had seen. And they ask him for a sign. I mean, it's not that they lacked evidence. They didn't ask for a sign because they wanted to believe. Like, you know, they were just, I, I really want to believe, but just, I, I just need confirmation just to get over the line. They asked him to test him. But Jesus knows their game and he's not going to play it. There's no point. Instead, he says, look, you know how to interpret the weather. You see a red sun in the morning, you know it's going to be stormy. You can interpret the weather signs, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And they're all around you. Miracle after miracle, never done before. And you don't know if I'm from God? How is that? He calls it for what it is. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Their refusal to believe isn't from a lack of evidence. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't. And that is not okay. Jesus says it's wicked. It's not of God. And he says, and also it's adulterous. They're Israel's leaders, but they are not loving God. They are playing the spiritual harlot. They are betraying their God and they are making love to power, status, and money. And they are pushing out God and leaving him on the side. And so he says, I'm not gonna give you any sign except the sign of Jonah. Now, this is the second time Jesus has said this, if you're wondering what Jesus means, he's already explained it back in chapter 12. The first time they asked for a sign and he gave that answer, he says it again, all they will have is the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah, of course, you know, is the Old Testament prophet, famous for what? For being Swallowed by a whale, right, okay. Taken down to the ocean's depths before being spat out on shore three days later. A kind of a preview, if you think about it, to what would happen to Jesus when he went to the cross. He would be swallowed by the grave. He would go down, die, completely dead, be buried. But then on the third day, he would come up, rise from death, and emerge from the tomb, the risen and glorious Messiah. No sign will be given you except that one. And if you do not believe that one, you will not believe any sign. That is all you need. Now, that really speaks to us who haven't seen miraculous signs in our own lifetime, does it? But we know Jesus died and rose again. If you want evidence for that, come and talk to me afterwards. Um, now, if you're sitting there and you believe in Jesus, then you get it. You go, yes, Jesus is worth believing in. And, you know, you get it. For those who don't believe in him, you know that if people won't believe in him after he's died and risen from the dead, they're not going to believe, if, even if, 
you know, God turned up and did a miracle in front of them. They, they won't believe in him. And so maybe you're thinking, as for me, I'm good. You know, I accept this. I, I believe I can go home. Except that now, in the third part, Jesus speaks to we who believe and warns us to be on our guard against unbelief. Isn't that interesting? Because it's possible to start off with belief but then drift into unbelief. He says, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is he talking about? The disciples are wondering this. They have no idea. They think he's talking about yeast because we forgot to bring bread. What else could he be talking about? Except, what miracle did they just witness? The feeding of 4,000, miraculously. Jesus can't be talking about them not having any bread. If he wanted bread, he could have made bread. Duh. And yet he says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They don't understand. Now, Jesus says, that is a real worry. He says, you have little faith. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? It's not that he thinks they're simple. It's not that he thinks they're not smart. It's not that he thinks they lack intelligence. Their lack of understanding comes from a lack of faith. You have little faith. Why do you not understand? Put it another way, their lack of faith creates misunderstanding. And it's illustrative of what can happen for us as well. He says, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered, 12? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand I was not talking to you about bread? <laughs> if I wanted bread, I could have made some. He says, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, bing, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now yeast, why does he talk about yeast? Yeast is that active ingredient in dough that makes bread rise. It's a little thing, but you add it in and it grows. It's like a virus, isn't it? The dangerous thing about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the thing that could make it multiply is that it is not based on faith. You add that in to the disciples' belief and what will grow from that is unbelief. Let's break it down. Jesus groups the Pharisees and the Sadducees together because they come to Jesus together because of their unbelief. But that's really interesting because theologically, these two groups of Jewish people are poles apart. The Pharisees, they were the religious people. They said they believed in God, the resurrection, and in religion. But they don't believe in Jesus, the one who brings us to God, and, and because they don't believe in him who brings us to God, to get to God now becomes human effort. And the result is a very legalistic religion based on rules, rules, and more rules, which they've added to those in the Old Testament. 
If you want to get an example of this, you read Matthew 23 and the sort of convoluted rules the Pharisees were filling people's heads with. Jesus said, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You say, if anyone swears by the altar, well, that means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? You see the convoluted rules that you end up subscribing to. And these don't come from faith, and they lead to a wrong understanding of Jesus because we put our trust in religion then, in the keeping of the rules, instead of putting our trust in Jesus. And that was my friend Stavros's problem. He saw his, his family saw that faith in Jesus was in the end opposite to their religion and they would have nothing of faith in Jesus because they had their rules. Jesus said, you who believe in me, be on your guard against the teaching of the Pharisees which is not based on faith. And then Jesus warns us against the teaching of the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees said they were believers in God, the Sadducees didn't. They were materialists, atheists. They say there is no God and the only thing that is real is what you can see and touch, which meant they lived for life now. Power, money, success. They were materialists. That was my friend Dave. Behind Dave's philosophical posturing about the burdens of proof wasn't any desire to believe if he really did have evidence. He didn't want to believe. His universe came from a lack of faith. What you saw was all that there was, nothing more. So even when he did hear of Jesus dying and rising from the dead, he didn't believe. He, he didn't want to believe. Now, every day we face, we all face challenges to faith. And Jesus is highlighting them for us. There is the temptation to adopt the Sadducees mindset, the temptation of subscribing to atheism. You wake up, you wonder, what if I'm wrong? What if there is no God after all? What if, what if I'm wrong about Jesus? What if all that time at church, all that money I gave to church, all those years of service is just vapor? That question does not stem from faith. It stems from a lack of faith, which can create misunderstanding. And we need to hear Jesus' words. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. When you ask those sorts of questions, what do you go back to? His death and resurrection, right? That is solid enough basis for faith. That is reasonable to then say, yes, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. So we need to hear Jesus' warning. Be on your guard against the teaching of the Sadducees. Don't give in to saying there is no God. And then there's the temptation of religion. Perhaps you're saying, you know, when I first believed in Jesus, it seemed so real, so alive. There was a song in my heart. God and I were this close, but now I feel dry. And if I'm honest, I've just reduced my faith to a few things that I do in my life and in my week, which I hope in the end will be enough when God assesses me. 
Now that is not faith in Jesus. Jesus told his disciples who had believed, be on your guard against the teaching of the Pharisees. And then there's this third challenge, the feeling of being cheated, the feeling of being let down in life, the nagging thought that somehow, because of life's disappointments or struggles, that you have been swindled by Jesus. Like what happened with my friend Pete, who in the end gave up his faith. Now, if you're tempted to think that, in the end, Jesus, on balance, he's miserly, and he's not worth believing in. Then what I want you to draw encouragement from is the feeding of the 4,000 which tells us that in the end, he is and will prove to be an abundantly generous king. He really is good. And you need to remember and take heart from the sign of Jonah. Jesus died and then he rose. And it's interesting how in his teaching, his going to the cross and then resurrection becomes a model for discipleship. You have to give up your life to gain eternal life. He doesn't promise resurrection now. He promises the cross now, doesn't he? But then, wonderful things to come. When he rose from the dead <clears throat> on the third day, he won for us the defeat of death and the resurrection from the dead. In the end, he will prove to be wonderfully good and generous. He really is worth believing in. And though many won't, we need to guard ourselves against unbelief. And this is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to you and me today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to guard ourselves against unbelief. Faith is so important. Um, we thank you for the sign of Jonah, for Jesus' death on the cross for all of our sins, for his resurrection from the dead. We pray, let us not fall into the um, teaching of the Sadducees, the view that you aren't real. Let us not fall into the teaching of the Pharisees, the view that it's all about us obeying rules to make it right with you. And let us not fall into disappointment, but remember the feeding of the 4,000. Father in heaven, help us to deeply believe and keep on believing that Jesus is a good and generous king. In your name we pray, amen.